Welcome to the 17th episode of the What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan podcast. If you're wondering why this is episode 17 and not 16, it's because in between the last episode and this one, we posted a history special episode in that we talked about the Sykes-Picot, the Treaty of Sèvres, and the Treaty of Lausanne, and that history. And this week, there's going to be a new history episode coming out about notable women in Kurdish history, so watch out for that one. Anyways, as always, this podcast is based on the newsletter, What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan. And if you go to our Instagram, WHLW under Kurdistan, you can find links to the newsletter as well as our Patreon if you'd like to support us on there. I'm your host, I'm Gilles Chouani. And without delaying it any further, let's get into the news. And this week, we start with Rojava, West Kurdistan, Syria. So in Rojava this week, something very odd came out, okay? And it came out from Bashar al-Assad, which is even weirder. And here's what he said, okay? I'm very confused by this whole situation. Right now is a time when unity is key. You need dialogue to bring people in. And what does Bashar al-Assad do? He He's dividing Syria. He's dividing Syria even more than it's already divided. In a statement, he said that Kurds weren't native to Syria, which is a false allegation. It is a false statement. And very quickly, that statement was denounced by the Kurds in Rojava. The fact is, the Kurds are native to the region. They were native to the region before the Sykes-Picot Agreement. And he... After that, he said a few other weird things, okay? He, first, he said, you know, that the Kurds should not ally themselves with the Kurds or the Turks, which I don't know if he's watching the news about his own country, but the Kurds are not allied with the Turks. Uh, I mean, what? After that, he said that the Kurds aren't doing anything against the Turkish occupation and called them neutral. I mean, really? Really? So the war in Afrin, the ethnic cleansing in October, and the fight against, the continued fight against the Turkish-backed jihadi forces, that is not enough. That is being neutral. Okay, I mean, I really don't know what, what Putin is feeding him, but this guy is hallucinating. And this is very odd. But anyways, um... See, right now is a time for dialogue. It's a time to bring people together because finally Syria might have a chance of regaining its territorial sovereignty, you know, with with Russian help, but you get what I mean. It seems like a time when the jihadi-backed forces, or sorry, the Turkish-backed jihadi forces are not doing that well. The Kurds and the regime sort of have control over much of the land. And... Assad says this. I don't know if this is just his internal racism or a political move, but if it is a political move, I don't see how this is doing anything. Is he signaling to Turkey to come attack the Kurds and that the regime is not going to do anything to defend them? I mean, they've never done anything, but you know what I mean. I, uh, so this is just weird. I don't, I don't understand this. But I'm going to move on now. That is all the news from Rojava. Next up, we're going to move on to Bashur, South Kurdistan, Iraq. So for Bashur this week, we have more news about the coronavirus. And, you know, we understand that people may be sick of hearing about the coronavirus, no pun intended. 
but it is news and it is important to understand the good and the bad in terms of dealing with this with this with this pandemic you know so we're going to take our readers and our listeners on a journey through Kurdistan without the risk of catching anything so here we go so how did the coronavirus first come about in Kurdistan well it was around a month ago where Iran reported cases of the virus and rather than quarantining locations and individuals, the clerics there, the Islamic radical clerics in that country, in Iran, they sent out fatwas, you know, uh, and they encouraged people to not be deterred and to not be scared of the virus and to continue their pilgrimages towards Qum. And we talked about this last week, if you can remember. So it wasn't too long that several cases were announced uh, in Iran, and eventually it spread to the Kurdish regions of Iran. So in Ksina and Kirmashan, which is in Rojhalat, it is under the occupation of the Iranian regime. And it was when those cases were announced that the coronavirus had officially arrived in Kurdistan. And around the same time, a Shia Turkmen family of four, who were from Kirkuk, they had returned from Iran. So they were on the pilgrimage, and they were returning from Iran to Kurdistan, to Kirkuk, and they tested positive for the virus. And that's how it sort of spread into Bashur. Shortly after that, a family of three who had just returned from Iran also tested positive in the Kurdish-governed city of Slemani. That's also in Bashur. And a few days later... The first case was announced where the individual had died. And so far, this is the only case where the person infected with the virus has died. The person who died was a mullah who had multiple health problems. Uh, and he had these health problems before catching the virus. And the symptoms of the virus kind of started showing up. He eventually died. Uh, may he rest in peace. But the doctors say that Yes, he had the virus at the time of his death, but it wasn't because of the virus that he died. It was actually due to heart failure. And just days after that, many more cases were announced in Erbil, Hawler, and Slemani. And all of the cases in Hawler and Erbil uh, were people who had returned from Iran. And the cases in Slemani were people who had contact with the mullah and another person who had contact with the mullah. So it was like a the the person had had contact with the mullah and he had spread it to other individuals. So why did we go through all of this? Why did we just summarize everything that has happened? Well, I said it last week and I want to say it again this week. We want to show that despite the region's geopolitical nature, Kurdistan has managed to stay ahead while the virus is spreading like wildfire in Iran, really without any means to control it. Kurdistan has done a great job, and it's not just us who are saying it, it's also the World Health Organization of the UN. Now, before I continue with the coverage of the coronavirus in Kurdistan, I just want to say one thing. Please don't panic. Yes, it is a relatively more dangerous virus than other ones, but it is not that deadly. So, you know, do... Follow the guidelines for the, for hygiene and be careful of what kind of places you go to and keep your loved ones safe and you'll be okay. Now, 
For our listeners who speak Kurdish, you can go to the Kurdish Academics and Professionals page on Instagram. It's, uh, their handle is K-E-A-P under dash K-E-M-S-A. So K-E-A-P under dash Kemsa. And on there, Dr. Banu Abdurrahman does a great job of explaining the coronavirus, how dangerous it is, and how to, you know, how to understand it better. But yeah, now I'm going to continue the news about the coronavirus in Kurdistan. So back to Kurdistan and the news. So what did Kurdistan do exactly to manage this corona outbreak? Well, the first thing was the health ministry, they began talking to the public. They let the public know how to enhance their hygiene and safety measures before the coronavirus was even in Kurdistan. So at this point, the virus was still in China and only in China. And after reports of international cases, the region began taking further measures and they you know, basically stacked up equipments and prepared professionals to deal with the situation. And it wasn't long before the first cases were announced in Iran and Iraq and the region, you know, the Kurdistan region, after that, they immediately stopped all non-trade access to and from Iran. So any other entries or access points that was not essential and not, it's not uh, related to trading was stopped. And at the same time, they took in anyone who, were, who was returning from Iran and quarantined them just to be safe. And soon after that, they took even more precautionary measures on all borders and airports with everyone entering having to receive a check. And lastly, they completed the building of new hospitals specifically for Corona just 10 days after announcing their plans to do so. This is very impressive, right? Again, this is filling me with pride. I am happy the Kurdish regional government is doing such a good job regarding the coronavirus, and I hope they keep up this good job. And beyond all of that, it's also worth mentioning that the government made even other necessary decisions to reduce working hours, shut down, shut, shutting down schools, and places where you know there are there are large congregations of people where a lot of people come together and of course this has majorly helped it's been a great help and that's why the kurdistan region has fewer cases than their neighbors and while that is all really great this isn't just going to be praised because even though the region has a lot of responsible health professionals there are also there you know there's a fair share of share of idiots too so we're going to start off with the smugglers who smuggled iranians into Kurdistan, regardless of the risks they may bring. Why would you do that? I mean, I understand you want to make your money, but God damn it, man. How selfish can you be? Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, a list of names were published by the region's security, Asaish, and, uh, you know, it was basically the names of those people who had entered the region illegally, and at the same time, they told people to stay away from these names so stay away from these people and also alert them alert the security if they have any information about any of these individuals which is a positive step forward and adding to the list of dumb people to the stupid idiots who just can't get it through their thick heads that this is an important thing to do you know are the mullahs the mullahs that did not want to stop friday sermons despite the threat to the region. 
a bunch of mullahs from the fatwa committee, they, they, they basically announced that the sermons would continue and anyone catching the, the virus would be labeled a martyr. Oh God, like how stupid are you, man? It was less than 24 hours after when the mullah mentioned above, so the guy who died, uh, their announcement was overruled by the government and sermons were officially halted. Thank you. Thank you. But here's what pisses me off. Some people are so stupid, you know? They're such so boneheaded. They can't get it through their thick skulls. Some mullahs decided to take matters into their own hands, okay? And they they basically gathered an audience outside of mosques to continue their sermons. Now, there are not enough words to call these mullahs to really even elicit a sense of their stupidity. It is so stupid. You're putting people's lives in danger. You have no regard, no respect, and no consideration for the people, for the doctors, for the health officials working 15 to 16 hour shifts every day to help combat this pandemic. And they have to act like this is some religious or political law. It isn't. It isn't. It's, it's considering our health is trying to protect people from a virus which is potentially more dangerous than what we've had before. Again, I say that while keeping in mind that, yes, it is more dangerous, but please don't panic. I know, I know this is kind of sounding like an oxymoron, moron, but it is comparatively more dangerous, but also comparatively, it's not that deadly. So don't panic, but keep yourself safe. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyways, that is the news about the coronavirus. Um, next week, we will talk about this again and we'll provide the latest news. Uh, let's hope for more positivity and less stupid things like smugglers and mullahs. So we're going to move on now to another story about Bashur. And it's about how the Kurds seem to be weak in Baghdad. So Kurdistan's monthly public salaries were finally paid by Baghdad after 40 days of delaying. The, the delay was basically because a recently hired general director refused to sign the paper that would send the money to the region. Now you might ask, why would she do that? What might possibly motivate her to do such a thing? Well, she basically said, unless the Kurdish region gives up their control of the remaining oil fields, she would continue to refuse to sign. The situation had to then be resolved by the Kurdish prime minister after he uh, intervened. And really, it's a shame. It is such a shame that the Kurdish lobby in Baghdad is so weak. You're within your own country. What are you doing? You're within your own country. You should be able to have some influence and have some lobbying power over there. But it's a shame. It's a shame that the lobby is so weak where a general director can make such a bold demand. Give up all the oil fields? Are you kidding me? The minister, basically, here's what the sad thing is. The minister for that ministry, who was a Kurd, couldn't or wouldn't do anything about it. And sadly, there are two reasons for this. The first one is that Kurds aren't united anymore in Baghdad like they were a decade ago, hence weakening them. And the political parties have self-interests over regional demands. You know, so they care about 
what is good for them over what is good for the people in the region. Look, if this continues, the Kurdistan region is going to continue to suffer. And speaking of the Kurdistan region suffering, we have another potentially sad news. Okay, oil prices may hurt Kurdistan's economy. So, yeah, oil prices could be hurting Kurdistan's economy. And actually, yeah, it's going to hurt the Kurdistan economy. So, both of Kurdistan and Iraq rely in a large way on oil sales. But right now, the prices are dropping to crazy low levels. The lowest since 1991. 30% drop in prices. This will further make life in the Kurdistan region difficult. So Kurdistan is in particular more reliant on the oil sector and trade tariffs. And, and right now, because of the price drop of oil and the coronavirus, both of these are down. You know, the oil sector and the trade tariffs, they're both down. And it seems like the, the region needs to brace itself for yet another financial crash. Ever since 2014, man, ever since 2014, it seems this is just... Uh, yeah. Anyways, that was all the news for this week. Next up is an interview with Gulsuma Demir from Kurdish Lessons. With us on the podcast this week is Gule Demir. Gule, welcome to the podcast. And thank you so much, and hello everyone, and thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, Gule, you work uh, with Kurdish lessons. You teach Kurdish. Uh, you teach P uh, Kurdish to people. You want to tell us a little bit something about Kurdish lessons? Sure. Um, Kurdish lessons is a social platform, and mm -hmm. we aim to teach Kurdish language foreign people. Mm -hmm. And these accounts like we have many accounts for uh, social platforms like instagram twitter youtube and facebook mm -hmm. and discord and um i want to teach kurdish in english because i want to teach everyone i mean from all around the world that's why yeah. it's in english and yes i think now that's all so how, how did you start kurdish lessons what was the reason behind it so when I was a student in Istanbul, I was studying linguistics and in the meantime I was studying um, Kurdish language in an yeah. institute, it's called Institutia Kurdi, mm -hmm. uh, but it was my last year and I was, and I wanted to improve my English and teach Kurdish because when you saw that all people around you, they just speak Kurdish in their houses, it was like the language of home. Not language yeah. of life, really. And you see the language will die and you want to do something, but you have to improve your language skills or something else as well. And I decided to teach Kurdish with English because I thought it will be helpful for me. It, it will improve my English and my Kurdish as well. So I opened an account. Um, at the beginning, it was called I am learning Kurdish. It was just on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, with this account, I came to the Moscow to study uh, Russian and to teach Kurmanji. Hmm. And here I start to teach Kurmanji and I give online lessons. I start to give online lessons. And after two years, like five months ago, 
I decided to create an account on YouTube and Twitter as well because uh, I thought with online with videos it will be more useful and with Twitter I can reach more people. So I yeah. created this account. Yes. So essentially, it was just because first you wanted to improve your own Kurdish and also English? other people uh, and your English as well, of course. And uh, you saw that. Not a lot of Kurds spoke Kurdish outside the home. That's I, I love that. I really love that. Yes, so, because we have to do something for our language. Our... Yeah, we, we have such a rich language. We have such a beautiful language and so many dialects of it. And you're right, uh, you know, in, in Turkey, in Bakur, and also in the diaspora in, in Europe and America, Kurdish isn't really spoken that much uh, because of certain social or cultural or whatever other other obstacles there are. Now, right now, Kurdish Lessons is only offering lessons in Kurmanji. Yes, uh, for now, yes. <laughs> do you have any plans to roll out uh, a, a course for Sorani as well? Uh, you know, my native dialect is Kurmanji. That's why mm. I started with Kurmanji. But I don't know anything about Sorani. Even I can I cannot read. <laughs> it's yes, it it's my shame because I have to learn <laughs> Sorani or Zazaki. Mm. Uh, but you know, for example, in Bakur or, or in like Turkey part and in Kurdistan Bakur, we have around twenty million Kurd. I mean, it's they say twenty. Mm. So, but I'm not sure that if one million of them know how to read and write Kurmanji. Wow. I mean, it is really bad. The situation is really bad. Because, you know, the assimilation is everywhere. I mean, these, in school, in outside streets, everywhere, ev everything is in Turkish. Yeah. So, first, I want to really be professional about Kurmanji. And then, maybe Zazaki. Because, hmm. for Sorani, the situation is different. It, now, it is okay. I mean, we will not lose Sorani. It will yeah. not die. But Zazaki is... Even worse than Kurmanji. Maybe in future I can find a teacher for Zazaki and work with someone and preserve the language. Preserve the language that way. That, that's a really great way of going about it. And you're right, Sorani, uh, for us Bashuris, uh, we're kind of lucky in that, and I've said this on the podcast before, in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, in South Kurdistan, we have that freedom. We have the freedom to be Kurdish and talk Kurdish and teach in Kurdish. But that freedom isn't really afforded to Bakur, especially Zazaki speakers. And, you know, the story of the Zazaki speakers kind of reminds me of Haurami in Bashur and Rojalat, where Haurami is such an old language, it's such a beautiful dialect of Kurdish. But because of the small population, it could possibly die out. Yes. Um, and so I also wanted to ask you, have you, are you uh, right now considering... Uh, using an app like creating a language learning app or a website or you know sort of using webinars to teach people uh, kurmanji or how are you doing it you know i had i have a website it's called kurdishlessons.com mm -hmm. and there i share my videos and i prepare some notes because it is really difficult to find the material for kurmanji yeah. uh, i mean it is even impossible sometimes I mean, yeah. now we don't have a, like a really good book to uh, to see each topics and examples. But no, and as much as I can, I'm trying to prepare like with exercises, with examples, with explanations, notes. And I want to create a, a learning application. But hmm. 
for now uh, i don't know how to make it because it's not my like i don't know how to do it i have to find someone but for someone i have to pay yeah yes and the problem is okay you can ask people to make they will make but i mean when if you don't give money if you don't pay them they they don't do it like really good i mean they don't care about this. I mean, money, money works everywhere, you know. Yeah. So I need the money to make. <laughs> yes. Of course, it takes money to get a program like that out. Um. So, uh, are there enough students right now that Kurdish Lessons is making enough money to push itself forward? Or, you know, would you, would you want to have like an, an investor come in and like help Kurdish Lessons develop further? now i have two students i mean we yeah. start like uh, each um, like every week mm. i mean with this money i can live you know moscow is really expensive <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes and uh and otherwise i want now i am preparing some materials for udemy because with udemy i think i can make money mm. but for this you have to prepare i mean everything like uh, they i mean they demand at least two or three hours videos and materials and everything. Wow. Yes, it is a bit difficult. I mean, it, from outside, it looks quite easy, but when you enter, when you start, it, is, <laughs> it takes time, <laughs> it takes like effort, everything. It takes a lot of research. Yes, and it, it should be, I mean, you are the first one and you will be an example and you have to make it properly. I mean, everything. Mm. And you, for Gurmanji, because it's a spoken language, and there, I mean, even sometimes one word, it has many varieties and you have to choose yeah. the most common one. And it's a problem. People say, we don't say this way. It is wrong. It is, it is complicated. Yeah. And and like a further issue is the fact that we, we don't really have a standard. Yes. Uh, Kurdish, you know, every region have their own dialect. Like that's got to be a, a really, head. that's got to be a headache for you, right? Yes. At the beginning, it was really difficult. I... For example, I'm sharing something. I'm trying to find the most common one according to dictionaries, mm. books. But I sometimes I had just uh, like hundred uh, comments for one word, and I I have to answer. I have to make explanations. It it was really difficult. But now people uh, know what I what I do, what I'm going to do. That's why it is easier now. But at the beginning, it was it was just awful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, what is uh, what are what are some of your tips for foreign people coming into Kurdistan, non-Kurdish people coming to Kurdistan? You know, maybe they're a journalist or a scholar or someone who's interested in coming to Kurdistan and working there. What is your tips to learn the language or at least pick up some you know handy phrases or terms? You know, last uh, in my last video, I spoke about this. I tried to give some advices to learner probably but i mean for for any language if you want to learn you have to make this language um, like your daily language yeah you have to listen you have to try to speak you have to read you have to write but in for Kumanji, it is difficult because there is no good stories for example like books or i mean even you can listen news but they are difficult for beginners i mean mm. it is so I, if they want to learn, I mean, for old people, I always say they can just send me message and I can send them books. I have some materials to share and I am ready to help. But 
they have to spend time with Kurmanji. I mean, of course, speaking, writing, reading. I mean, it's my advice for for everyone, yeah. not just for foreign, for <laughs> even for Kurds, because we also don't know our language. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you know uh, you kind of jokingly said it was kind of shame. Uh, you were kind of ashamed that you don't know any Zazaki or Sorani, but really. If you go to Bashur and speak Kurmanji, everyone's just gonna look at you with these wide eyes, like I they will not understand anything. Um, no, but for me, when I first started to learn Kurmanji, uh, I was lucky because my sister speaks fluently because one of her best friends is Kurmanji, and she couldn't speak Sorani, uh, the friend, and my friend, ha- uh, my sister had to learn Kurmanji so that they could communicate uh, better that way. So. I had her to help me, and you're right. Like you really need a lot of, a lot of practice. Um, so, outside of Kurdish lessons, are there other, other sources people can learn from? You know, in in Turkish, we have some channels. Mm. If they know Turkish, maybe they can follow in on YouTube. If we just if if they just write Kurmanji, Kurdi, they will find. And mm-hmm. otherwise, oh, um, I don't know who, but a guy uh, uploaded um, all sentences of a Kurdish book to memorize. They can just go to memorize and write Kurmanji or Kurdish beginners. They will find a source to study. Mm. And they can check my website because I have several notes for beginners. Mm. And we have what? If they write Kurmanji, they will find many things. But they, for beginning, they will, I mean, the language will look really difficult, but it is normal for all languages. Yeah. Yes. The main thing is to decide to learn. I mean, this is the point. Yeah, exactly. If you kind of start that journey and you keep at it, you know, eventually it's going to get easier. <laughs> yes. Um, so what was your own process of improving your Kurmanji? So... <laughs> Uh, when I was a uh, young, when I was young, I mean as a uh, girl, I first I was born in Mardin, mm-hmm. uh, but because of the war between PKK and the uh, Turkish army, we have we had to move Istanbul. Uh, mm. I we we moved Istanbul and I start to study Turkish. I mean, but at the beginning. For example, I don't remember anything about my first and second year from my school because I didn't know Turkish. I I have no any memory from this time. Mm. Then I, at home, we were speaking Kurmanji and school in Turkish. But by the time, because of reading books and life, my Turkish like became my first language. And I said, no, we are Kurds. We have to. I mean, yes, I can speak. It is fine, but I. I have to be able to read articles, news, and books. And I am really lucky. I had a boyfriend, and his Kurdish was great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I improved my Kurmanji, but at the same time, I went to institute to make it perfect because, yes, he he helped me a lot, but I, I, study, I had to study by myself as well. Mm. And I, for example, I write stories. I I send them to like um, magazines, or mm. I don't know. I had a blog, 
still I have. Yeah. And I wrote many things, but it was, if you go and uh, read them, like five, six years ago, they are full of mistakes. And they can go and it is, <laughs> I can't even give a link, but it, they will see it was very bad at the beginning. I mean, writing, but by the time I, I didn't fed up, I always write, write, write. And now it is, it's quite fine. I mean, I even, yeah. I can read articles, I can write article. It's, yeah. it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that, that really takes a lot of courage to, when, when, for example, when your Kurmanji wasn't at the level that it is now, actually writing articles, actually putting your Kurdish levels or your Kurdish skills out there for people to see, it takes a lot of courage. And that's sort of, um, people being insecure about their languages, what stops a lot of people from improving? You know, they don't want to speak it to native speakers or they don't want to speak it to someone who speaks it better than them because they're worried they would make mistakes. What Do you have any tips how to get over that? You know, I always say, I mean, if you want to learn language, for example, for my Russian, I always make mistakes, but it is fine because mm. I'm learning, I'm a learner, it is normal. And for Kurmanji, they have to, I mean... Mm, how to say i mean it is okay to to make mistakes or like to conjugate uh, verbs like not properly or to use um, another another verb word it's yeah. okay i mean just they have to speak i mean yeah. it is okay i mean if you i mean yes it sometimes it will take time to explain everything in kurmanji but it's okay they don't afraid I mean, it's the it's the main thing. Just they have yeah. to speak. Just use just use the language. Yes. Yeah. What do you know? And try to learn new uh, words to use, like to make your sentence longer or mm. to to give more detail. What is the point? Yeah, and Kurdish is like it's the Kurdish is a very detailed and descriptive kind of language, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yet, don't make people afraid. <laughs> No, 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 they shouldn't be afraid. No, no, um, Kurdish is a very descriptive and detailed language, but once you kind of get a hold of that, then it's so beautiful to use. You yes. Know? It's a poetic language. Yes. Um, yes, when so they I'm... be mm-hmm. able to read uh, like poems and m- listen to music with understanding, it would be really, I mean, a pleasure for them. Yeah, it would make all of it uh, really worth the effort. Yeah. So how many languages do you speak? Uh, so I speak Turkish and Kurmanji, yeah. and I know some English. <laughs> <laughs> you know your your English is great. No, <laughs> <laughs> and I know some Russian. Some Russian. And I know some Syriac. Do you know Syriac? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. So is it? I'm a little confused here. So Syriac and Assyrian. What is the difference there? You know what is this? You know no. It is because of name. People think it's Syrian, but it's no. For example, in Mardin, we have Christian mm-hmm. people. I mean, Syrian. Uh, they mm. or maybe you can say like they say Ara- Aramin. You know, it is Aramic. Ah yes. Yes. Th- their language. But my question is: is it is it related to the Assyrian and the Chaldean people? Yes, it is the from same family. It's from Semitic, but Chaldean is a bit different, like Sorani and Kurmanji. Okay. Yes, okay. but this one actually, um, we have classical Syriac, but it is the, just the language of church. No one speaks, but we have some dialects, modern dialects. They are still spoken, and I know uh, which is spoken in Mardin, 
because one of my project um, i had to learn it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. and also uh before i let you go i wanted to ask you just a, a bit more a couple more questions um there are a lot of kurds like i mentioned earlier in the diaspora in europe and in america and you know they want to use kurdish but you know they're they're surrounded by they're surrounded by uh, you know non-kurdish people all the time they use non-kurdish languages all the time because it's just, you know it's just how their life is but they have a basis in kurdish like would you recommend for the people like that to start reading in kurdish or would you say they should watch tv or how can they improve their kurdish um, so um you know i have some friends like uh, these people and mm. uh, like they ask me what to do i say okay for example it is very easy just you can make an twitter account and you can start to follow kurds who write in kurdish mm. i mean just you can write like one or two or three tweets every day just basic things and you will see that you are improving but you have to yeah. write and read and listen i mean and and i think for kurds it is it will be easier if you compare with foreign people because kurds have just they have to just remember the language yeah it's kind of like riding a bike in some ways yes you know, you yes start it and then it uh, continues yeah so they they just have to use it and you know once their kurdish does improve they can come closer to if they would like to they can come closer to their kurdish roots now i wanted to ask you from your experience now you having lived in bakur and also having lived in istanbul um in terms of you know the unity that we always talk about among kurds what is what in your opinion is the uh, effect of language on that unity if i could uh, speak kurmanji fluently and you could speak bashuri or bashuri surani fluently uh you think that would increase increase our unity uh you know actually what makes us kurds is just our language i mean mm. it is only thing that we have yes mm. we have a long history and perfect i mean literature but it is language i mean we we have to preserve what we have and we have to try to learn our other dialects to be able mm. to communicate i mean mm. it is uh, actually language the only thing that uh, like um, bring us together otherwise we yeah. we don't have anything because yeah. yes I have to learn Sorani, you have to learn Kurmanji, even we have to learn Zazaki, Gorani, Havramani, all of them, because we have to communicate in our language, not in another language. And it will, yes, it will make us like meet. There is no something else. We have just this one. Yeah. It will bridge the gap for us. We'll be able to really understand each other. Yes, you know, no. when you speak mm-hmm. uh, English, it's okay. We understand each other. We... But we don't feel, I mean, we don't have feelings. But when I speak Kurmanji with someone, I'm really comfortable. I can, I'm comfortable. It is the main thing yeah. when I speak Kurmanji with my, with my friends, my family. It's important. It's, you know, it's, it's the mother's tongue. It, yes. it has a special feeling for us. Yes. Now, Gule, if, one, if people want to uh, learn Kurdish and they want to, they want you to help them how can they get to kurdish lessons and how can they reserve their classes or their lessons 
so it is very easy <laughs> we are everywhere <laughs> <laughs> so and um, uh, my main page is on twitter because it is very i mean i try to share everything um, every day i mean uh, they can come to twitter it's called uh, kurdish lessons mm-hmm. and on instagram it's also kurdish lessons i have a website it is also kurdish lessons on facebook it's kurdish lessons yes kurdishlessons.com and yes. you know i have a discord account and there i i offer people uh, like uh, free courses i mean we meet uh, like every, not every day but three times a week with people and we study language if like if they don't have money just just they can come and join us and i'm trying mm. to help them as much as i can they ask me questions there are many people there like many kurds they help the other people and we have students from all of the world one of them from uh, italia from us from i don't know portuguese were everywhere it is i mean mm. just they 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 have to come and uh, ask for help it is the main thing it's the main thing you're you're absolutely right um thank you so much for coming on the podcast gule and thank you for the work you're doing teaching people kurdish and you know like you say preserving the kurdish language i i really thank you too i was really excited <laughs> and it it was really difficult for me to speak uh, i mean it is more difficult than teach kurmanji <laughs> <laughs> well you did a fantastic job and it was such a pleasure talking to you thank you once again thank you so much and have a good day and thank you everyone That was all for this week. Thank you all for listening. Now, Thursday there's going to be another episode coming out, another history episode regarding notable Kurdish women in history. And you can go to our Instagram whlw_kurdistan to make sure you're up to date with what we're posting and what we're publishing. On there you'll also find links to the newsletter as well as our Patreon. And as we are a fully independent newsletter and podcast, any kind of aid is highly appreciated once again thank you for listening i have been your host i am jil shwani and i hope you all have a great week 